Good morning. I have a bad case today of something I haven't thought about before. Um, mask beard. If anybody else has mask beard, you know what I'm talking about. Actually, I have both hat hair and mask beard right now. So if you can tell, that's what's going on. Um, I didn't wake up and just comb everything this way. So, well, we've been looking at First Peter. We're going to continue that today. So basically, what Peter has told us so far in this letter is that um, he says that he's, he's telling us who we are. He's trying to help us remember who God says that we are, what is our identity, which is an incredibly important thing. And we know that who we understand ourselves to be is going to affect the way we feel about ourselves, about our life, and it's also going to affect the things that we say and the things that we that we do, too. So who does Peter tell us that we are, those of us that believe in Jesus? Well, he tells us that we are, we're a community, actually what we are is we're a family of people. We're a family of people who have been called out of darkness and into God's, God's light. And then he tells us that since we are people that have been called out of darkness and that now we're in his light and his truth and his grace and his love, what are we supposed to do? And in the end of chapter 1, what Peter says, he says that we should be a, a family of people, a community and a family of people who are declaring, this is the way he says it, he says are declaring the excellencies of the God who has called us out of darkness and into his marvelous light. So, so what does that mean? Basically what he's saying is that we have experienced God's love, we've been brought together by God's love, we've been given hope by God's love, and now our job as this family of people who are, are loved by God and loved by each other, our job is basically to, it's basically to show everybody around us how awesome God is. That we want people, when they see the way we live, when they watch us interact, when they hear what we say, when they see what we do, we want people to, to see how awesome God is. That's a big job. And so then the question is, how are we going to do that? How are we, as this family of people that are sitting in our homes today or that are underneath the tent, how are we going to show everybody around us how awesome God is? Well, there have been a few different strategies that have been attempted to try to show how awesome God is over the, the history of Christianity. And you might, some of these might sound familiar to you. We might do them today, maybe in different, in different ways. But, but one strategy that's been attempted before is, you know, people start thinking, we want to show everybody how awesome God is. Okay, how are we going to do that? Well, what if we pull all of our money together and all of our gold and all of our jewels, and we build the biggest, tallest, most impressive, most beautiful cathedral. And it's going to be even taller than the Mormon temple. And it's going to have even more gold than the Mormon temple. And whenever anybody drives by our cathedral, they're going to say, wow, look how, look how awesome God is because he has the biggest, nicest house in the city. 
right? That's one thing we could try. Or maybe on the other hand, maybe we can recruit the biggest, toughest, strongest, fastest people and make a Christian army. And we can, we can put crosses on our banners. And we can make sure that as we go out and we kill everybody and we, we, we kill them if they don't become Christians, that they know how strong and how powerful God is. And say, well, you don't want to mess with those Christians. Their God is awesome. And their, their, their guns are awesome. And their horses are awesome. And their lances are awesome too. Maybe we could try that. So this is what Peter's trying to get us to think about. How are we going to show everybody how awesome God is? And to be honest, he kind of throws us a curveball. Because what he tells us in chapter 2 that we've been looking at, that Matt started to teach about last week, and we're continuing for this week and next week, is basically, okay, how are we going to show everybody how awesome God is? It's not by being the richest and having the tallest, fanciest, whatever. And it's not by being the strongest and the toughest and by, you know, you know if you're not a Christian, then you know, we're going to get you or whatever. It's by, that's not the way we do it. What Peter says is, the way we show how awesome God is, is by submitting. And Matt started talking about this last week, that what submitting is, it's an attitude of, it's an attitude of humility that leads us to respect authority and then to do good works, to, to do good things. And so last week, Matt talked about what it looks like for us to show a submissive attitude towards the government, regardless of whether we agree or disagree with the government. And today we're going to talk about what it looks like to, to, to have a submissive attitude, a humble, respectful attitude towards the people that we work with. So what does it look like for us to show how awesome God is nationally as citizens under a certain government? And today, what does it look like to show how awesome God is in our job, the way we do our job? And so let's look at 1 Peter, and we're going to be in chapter 2. If you can go ahead and turn with me there. Looking at verse, starting in verse 18. And one thing I want to point out from the beginning is that some of our, so the, the first sentence here, it says, servants, be subject to your masters with all respect. And this word that's used for servants, it literally means in the original language, it means somebody that works in somebody else's house. So like a, a house worker, somebody that works in somebody else's house. And some of your versions, I'm reading the ESV, it says servants, but some versions translate it not as servants, but as slaves. It says slaves obey your masters. And so right off the bat, we're kind of confronted with this question. Is the Bible condoning slavery? Is Peter condoning slavery? And I believe that Peter is not condoning slavery and that the Bible is not condoning slavery. Well, what does that mean? How, how, do we, how do we work that out? Well, okay, so um, there's, a, there's a whole lot of ways we can kind of, this is a, a whole other conversation. We could talk about this for a long time, kind of the concept of, of slavery in the Bible and what the Bible says about slavery. Um, but basically, just very briefly, what I want to, to say is that if you look back at what it looked like in the first century A.D. 
to be somebody that works in somebody else's house, a, a servant, or in some versions translates it a, a slave, that really what you're really really what you're gonna see, if you could kind of, we could put ourselves, if we could had a time machine and go back in time to, to see what the life of a household servant or a household worker was like at the time, it would look a lot less like what we think of slavery. And as an American, I'll guess many of you too, when I think when I hear slavery, I think about the African slave trade in, in the New World and in, in the West. And I think it would look a lot less like that, and it would look a lot more like an employer-employee relationship. Okay, so so what does that what does that mean? Basically, at the time, they didn't have big companies. They didn't have like Apple or Microsoft or something like that. So if you were a somebody who maybe didn't have a ton of money, but you were energetic, you were healthy, you were you were pretty smart, and you wanted to to move up in the world, what you would probably do is you might go to. They didn't have companies. But what they did have, they had a lot of rich families. And so you might go to one of these families and say, hey, you know, here's some things I can do. Would you let me work in your house? And then in exchange for your services, they would give you a place to stay. They would give you food to eat. And, and depending on the situation, they might give you uh, different perks. They might be paying you. They might give you opportunities for education or advancement or stuff like that. And so that's a, a, very, a very brief version of, of the argument that really what Peter's talking about is not condoning slavery, but he's talking about situations where you are working for somebody, which is what we would think of today as an employer-employee relationship. So how does Peter tell us we should submit in our relationships with our employers in our, in our workplaces? So in verse 18, in chapter 2, verse 18, he says, Servants, be subject to your masters with all respect, not only to the good and gentle, but also to the unjust. For this is a gracious thing when mindful of God, one endures sorrows while suffering unjustly. For what credit is it if when you sin and are beaten for it, you endure? But if when you do good and suffer for it, you endure, this is a gracious thing in the sight of God. For to this you have been called, because Christ also suffered for you, leaving an example so that you might follow in his steps. He committed no sin, neither was any deceit found in his mouth. When he was reviled, he did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but continued entrusting himself to him, as God, to him who judges justly. He himself bore our sins in his body on a tree, that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. By his wounds you have been healed. For you were straying like sheep, but have now returned to the shepherd and overseer of your souls. Okay, so um, just like today, back in those days, when we think about the servant-master relationship, it says, okay, how should, we, how should we treat our employers? How should we treat people in our places of work? We should be subject to our masters with all respect. And it says, but you know, that's, that's easier for some people and harder for other people because not everybody has the same boss, right? So he says, you should be subject with all respect, not only to the good and gentle, the people that treat you well, but also to the unjust, the people that treat you unfairly or unkindly. That no matter what that situation is, we should have an attitude of submission and respect and humility. So what does this mean? So basically, some of us today, maybe you love your job. 
maybe you really enjoy your job. Maybe you don't love it every day, but, but you, you have a good working environment. You feel that, you know, relatively speaking, you're treated somewhat fairly. You're paid a somewhat fair wage. And, yeah, that you have, you have good opportunities. And if that's the case today, then, honestly, this is probably pretty easy for you, right? I mean, for you what it looks like is, I mean, honestly, work with integrity, work hard, you know, have a good attitude, and praise God because he's given you a, a good job. And that's a, that's, a, that's a blessing. That's a blessing not everybody has. But there's also some people here I know that, or people that are listening today, that are watching today, that you really, that you don't feel that way. That maybe for you, maybe, maybe you hate your job. And maybe you wouldn't say that you necessarily hate your job, but maybe for whatever reason, it's just, you, you just dread going into work every day. Maybe it's because of, you know, you're going to have to face a particular person, or because of something about the nature of the industry, or for whatever reason, you do not look forward to going to work in the morning. So what does it look like for people that, that struggle like that to, to enjoy or to appreciate their jobs? And, and, and honestly, if that's you, that, that's, that's the main, you're kind of the main people I'm talking to this morning. So what should you do if you, if you hate your job? So got a few things here. Number one, what Peter says in verse 18, he says, regardless of whether you have a good boss or a bad boss, you should be respectful. But what does it mean to be respectful? To be respectful basically means that I'm going to treat you like a human being. Right? Even if you don't treat me like a human being, I'm going to treat you like a human being. You might be disrespectful to me, but I'm going to be respectful to you. And this is tough sometimes because when we're treated poorly, either by a boss or a coworker or a customer or whatever, very often, for some reason in our, in our distorted minds, we somehow think that this gives us the right to respond in kind, to retaliate. If you say something unkind to me, I'm going to say something unkind back. If you start a rumor or slander me, I'm going to do the same to you. If you try to rip me off, I'm going to try to rip you off. It's, it's, it's fair, right? And Peter's telling us, God's telling us not, not to do that, that we should be respectful, that I'm going to treat you like a human being, even if you're not treating me like a human being. Okay, so number one, be respectful. And number two, um, number two, if you are in a position where you can quit your job, then do it. Right? Number one, be respectful. Number two, if you hate your job, if you dread it, and you're in a position where you can change jobs, you can quit your job or change into a different job or a different field, then, then definitely do it. I'm going to look real quick. You can turn with me to 1 Corinthians. I want to look at a different passage where not Peter this time, but Paul is addressing the, the servant-master relationship. This is 1 Corinthians 7. 1 Corinthians 7, or 1 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 21. And this is what he says. He says, he's talking about how people should, maybe people that have recently become Christians, how should you respond to, to the circumstances around you because you're now a Christian. He says, each one of you should live as he was called. Were you a bondservant, then do not be concerned about it. But it's okay. You know, you're, you're a servant, but God still loves you. But then he, in my Bible, in my version, at least it's in parentheses, he says, but if you can gain your freedom, 
then you should avail yourself of the opportunity. So basically what this means, if, you're in a, if you hate your job, if you're being treated disrespectfully, if you're, if you're being treated unfairly or unkindly, and you, it, you know, maybe your spouse has a job, and you can quit, and you can look for another job. Maybe you have some money saved up, and then you can quit and then look for another job. Maybe you, maybe, maybe you, can, um, you can start looking and, and find something in the same field with a different employer that's going to treat you better. And, and, you know, when we say respectful, like, we want to be respectful, but that doesn't mean that we can't use the means that are available to us to try to improve our, our situation. And so I think Peter would tell us, if you hate your job and you can quit, then do it. Now, do it respectfully. Give your two weeks notice. Don't, don't burn the place down on your way out, but, but, but do it, right? Um, yeah, so number one, be respectful. Number two, if you can quit, then, then do it. But I know that there's some of us that for whatever reason you're stuck, that you, you, you hate your job or you dread your job, you feel you're being treated unfairly, but for whatever reason you're stuck. Maybe it's financial. You know, maybe it's you, you need this job. You don't have another source of income, and you just can't afford to be searching for a new job right now. Okay? Maybe this is maybe it's a season, hypothetically speaking. Maybe you have to work from home virtually every day these days. Maybe, and I've talked to people that are like this, maybe you're, again, hypothetically speaking, maybe you're a teacher and you have to teach your kids while you're teaching other people's kids virtually. And every few weeks, the public school system tells you about new things you're going to have to do um, that you have no idea how to do, and you just have to kind of make it work. You know, maybe, maybe that's the situation you're in. Maybe, on the other hand, you really enjoy your job, but your problem is not with the content of your work or the company, but maybe there's one person, maybe it's your supervisor or somebody else, that you feel is, is really being unkind to you. And you, you don't want to leave this job because it's a good job and it gives you opportunities, but, but it's still just so hard for you to deal with this one person. It just drive you crazy. They, they, really, they, really, they really make you feel disrespected. Well, how, if you're stuck, how should you respond? What does it look like for you to be submissive and respectful um, if, you're, if you're stuck in a job that you don't like? So I think if that's the situation you're in, then Peter would tell us that you have been given an opportunity to suffer like Jesus. You've been given an opportunity to suffer like Jesus. And this is an honor for us to get to, to suffer like Jesus, to know that we are going through the same thing that he went through. Okay? Um, and so a few things I would say to you is, first of all, number one, think about God. Think about God. I'm going to go back to 1 Peter. It was in 1 Corinthians. Go back to 1 Peter. And what Peter says, he says to, to, to be humble and to be submissive, not only to the, the ones that are good and gentle, but also to the unjust. And then he says in verse 19, he says, For this is a gracious thing. In other words, this is something that really pleases God. When he sees this, he's very pleased. When somebody is mindful of God and endures sorrows while suffering unjustly. So first of all, we should be mindful of God as you're going through it. Think about God. 
Because for whatever reason, when we're going through difficult times, and this is kind of weird, when we go through difficult times, this is the time that we most need to be thinking about God. But very strangely, I think this is a way the enemy kind of draws us away and discourages us, the time that we most need to be thinking about God when we're going through suffering is the time that we have the hardest time thinking about God. Because, you know, maybe we think, maybe we're just too worried and we don't feel like we have time to think about God. Oh, I've got so much else I've got to, got to figure out. I, mean, I don't have time to, to pray or whatever. But I think sometimes it's deeper than that. Sometimes we actually think that this suffering is a sign that God doesn't love us anymore, that God doesn't hear us. And the truth is we've seen from 1 Peter chapter 1, that's the opposite of the truth, that God, he not only loves us in our suffering, that he uses our sufferings to make us more like he wants us to be. He's using these sufferings to make us stronger, to make us more holy. So think about God. Remember who you are in Christ. Remember that God loves you. Remember that he is using the thing you're going through to make you more like him, to ultimately give you more joy and to give him more glory. And also remember that he has given you and promised you eternal life and an inheritance with him that can never be taken away. So think, think about God. Remember God. Be mindful of God as you're suffering unjustly. That's number one. Number two, do good work. Do a good job. If you're stuck in a job that you don't like or that you feel is suffering for you, make sure you're still doing good work. This is what it says in verse 20. He says, he's talking about suffering unjustly. He says, for what credit is it to you if you sin and are beaten for it and then you endure? So basically, and again, like I said, sometimes when we're being treated unfairly, you know, maybe my boss is really, he's treating me unkindly or unfairly. For some reason, we think that we have the right then to kind of mess around and to kind of do something to stick it to him or stick it to her. Or, or we can kind of slack off or, or something like that. And what Peter's telling us is don't, don't do that. You know, if you, because the truth is very often when we're suffering, a, a lot or at least a portion of that suffering is because of our own actions. Or at least we make it worse sometimes. We make a bad situation worse by doing bad instead of doing good. So if you're, you're stuck in a bad situation, make sure you're doing a good job. And he says, this, but, but if you're, so if, if you're, if you're you know, messing around, you're doing a bad job, and then you get chewed out for it, or then you kind of get penalized for it, you know, that's, not, that, that's, not a, that's not something God's pleased with. But on the other hand, if when you do good and suffer for it, and then you endure, this is a gracious thing in the sight of God. Okay. And he says in verse 21, because to this you have been called, because Christ also suffered for you, leaving an example so that you might follow in his steps. So again, like I said, you've been given an example to suffer like Christ. Well, how did Christ suffer? Number one, he was mindful of God. Number two, he continued to to, no matter how you treat me, I'm going to continue to treat you not the way maybe you deserve, but the way God is telling me to treat you. And one of the clearest aspects of this that we see that's related is that he never retaliated. He never retaliated. So, number one, think about God. Number two, do good work. Number three, don't retaliate. This is, the, this is Jesus' example that he set for us. In verse 22, he says, He committed no sin, neither was any deceit found in his mouth. When he was reviled, he did not revile in return. People were saying terrible things about him. You know, and, you know, so we could understand if he wanted to lash right back out and fight fire with fire. 
He never did that. He didn't revile in return. When he suffered, he didn't threaten. He never said, you guys just wait until... He never did that. He did the opposite. He was actually praying for the people that were torturing him, praying that God would, would forgive them. He didn't threaten, but instead he entrusted himself to him who, who judges justly. He knows one day God's going to give these people what they deserve, and so I can let it go for now. It's not letting them off the hook eternally, but God's going to take care of this, so I I shouldn't. I don't need to. I can, I can just let it go, and I can suffer because I'm mindful of God because I'm thinking about God. And the, the final thing I'll say about this, just as we kind of get ready to wrap up, is that if this is a situation that you're in, you're going to need a lot of people to help you. You're going to need a lot of people to encourage you. Because I know a lot of us, I mean, a lot of our jobs have gotten harder, have gotten less enjoyable. Some have gotten, yeah, some have gotten downright tough because of the pandemic. And in certain situations, you know, maybe you've felt this, that because of the pandemic, your, your bosses, your superiors are kind of feeling the squeeze and they kind of pass that squeeze right on down to you. And so they're trying to make ends meet, and so they, they're trying to make ends meet by making you do things that maybe aren't reasonable, or making you do things that maybe aren't practical, that, are, that, are, that means your job's going to get a lot harder, have a lot more work and less time to do it, and now you've got your kids running around and whatever. So this is hard. And if this is the situation you're in, you're going to need other people around you to encourage you. You're going to need, and this is, I think a lot of times, when we have people that quote-unquote encourage us, so we all have people that we can vent to, or most of us do. We should. It's good to have somebody that we can vent to, to say, oh, you're not going to believe what my boss did, or I have to do this again. or and That's, you know, we try not to complain, but we all need to vent sometimes, just being honest. But not only do we need an outlet to vent once in a while, we also need people that are going to listen to us, that are going to be empathetic towards us, but are also going to encourage us to do the things that we've been talking about today. They're going to say, hey, I understand how you feel. That does seem really hard. That does seem unfair. Man, I, I hate this for you. I hope that God will provide a way out for you. But make sure that you don't use this difficult situation as an excuse for doing shoddy work or for being disrespectful to the people around you. We need somebody that's going to challenge us to say, hey, remember that God is here with you. Remember God's promises. Remember he's using this to help make you more like him. Remember that nothing that, that your inheritance is unperishable, undefiled, kept in heaven for you. Remember, nothing can change that. So continue to put your hope fully in the grace that's going to be given to you not when you get that next promotion or not when the pandemic ends, but put your hope fully in the grace that's going to be given to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. We need people like that around us that are going to encourage us. And, and finally, I just say to all of us, generally speaking, I, I guess I, I wonder how this kind of feels for you this morning. I wonder as you hear me say that even if you're being treated unfairly or unkindly, you need to commit and trust in the power of the Holy Spirit to be respectful and to be kind and to do good work and to trust in God. I wonder if this idea of, of showing how awesome God is by how gentle and how respectful and how submissive we are, I wonder, I wonder how that kind of sits with you. 
I wonder if there's anybody that hears that and thinks, I don't know, maybe thinks, that's a little bit, that sounds a little bit weak. Or maybe not weak, but like, that just sounds impractical. That just doesn't sound very practical. Maybe as you're hearing this today, you're thinking, maybe you're imagining ways in your career where, I mean, because let's be honest, I mean, sometimes job markets and different industries can be pretty cutthroat. You know, if, if, you, if you, you, you've got to do unto others before they do unto you and stuff like that, um, it, it, can, it can be pretty hard to know sometimes. Maybe you're coming to your mind right now are different scenarios, either in your past or things you're imagining in your future, hypotheticals, where if you approach this with this absolute attitude of, I'm going to, no matter how anybody treats me, I'm going to be respectful, I'm going to be submissive, I'm going to do good work. I wonder if you're imagining different scenarios where maybe that's not going to be the thing that will be the best for your career. Maybe you wouldn't get that promotion, or maybe you wouldn't get that account, or maybe whatever. And I think what I want to say about that today is, yeah, certainly Jesus wants to help us, the Holy Spirit wants to help us to yeah, to, to, to do a good job, and as he does that, we should expect that that's going to create a positive impression among other people, and that that will help us with our careers. Having a Christian work ethic and Christian integrity, I'm not at all saying that Jesus wants us to be poor and broke and, you know, not successful. That's not what I'm saying. But I think it's good for us to remember whose disciples we are. Remember who we're following. Remember that we are following a person who had everything, but he was willing to give it up, to give up all of his riches, all of his power, and come down to the earth to be born as a baby, and to never have a family, he never got married, he never owned a car or a donkey. You know, he, he never owned a house. He never really gained the respect of other people in his industry. And ultimately, he was betrayed by one of his best friends and then brutally tortured and murdered. Why would we think that when we're following somebody, why would it surprise us that when we're following Jesus, that, it, that maybe sometimes following Jesus might not be the path to the greatest wealth, power, and success. I think it's important for us to remember that we're not, we're not disciples of Jeff Bezos. Right? We're not disciples of Dwayne The Rock Johnson. Okay, we're disciples of Jesus. And Jesus' goal is for us to be part of his family to help make us more like him so we can be holy like he is holy to give us eternal life where we can enjoy forever his wonderful and glorious kingdom and if that's what we want then we're following the the right person you know but, but if what we really want out of life is to be rich powerful and successful 
Now, I'm not saying that Christians can never be those things, but if that's what you mainly want out of life, you know, maybe you should put your Bible down and pick up a Jeff Bezos biography, right? But if what you want out of life is to be part of, of an eternal family, to become more like God, and to have eternal life with him and with each other, then, yeah, we need to continue to pay a lot of attention to First Peter because this is the place to do that. But we need to know that it's going to involve a lot of, of submitting. Let me pray for us. Heavenly Father, we just lift you up and I ask that you would empower us and help us to be more like you in our work. Maybe that's in our spare bedroom or in our kitchen table behind a computer screen. You know, maybe, maybe that's in a, a situation for some people that is really difficult right now. But God, I pray especially for people who are not enjoying their jobs or maybe even hate their job or dread their job. I pray that you would give them power and give them strength and provide people to encourage them so that we can show how awesome you are by the way we submit to you and the way we submit to those around us in the place that we work. In Jesus' name, amen.